Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. You're listening to episode 70 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, I'm sharing an interview with Karina Bush about her experiences diving into preschool piano teaching. Hey, beautiful teachers. As part of the launch of my new book, Playful Preschool Piano Teaching, I've been sharing some excerpts and some interviews related to the book here on the podcast. Today, I'm sharing an interview with Karina. Karina and I chatted about her experiences diving into preschool piano teaching for the first time in Germany and about how she felt the need to get the parents involved and how she achieves that in her studio. Karina Bush runs her own piano studio from her no- home near Dusseldorf in Germany and teaches all ages, starting from four years. She loves to try new ideas and accompany her students on their way to a well-rounded knowledge of music and playing the piano. Karina writes a blog about piano teaching and her ideas and experiences. Written in German, it can be found at klavierpädagogikanddecken.de. I'm sure I am completely butchering the pronunciation of that, but it means in English, discovering piano pedagogy. Welcome to the show, Karina. Welcome, Karina. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Nicola. Thanks for asking me to join you. Oh yeah, delighted to have you here. So first of all, I'd love if you could tell our listeners just a little bit about your background, how you came to start teaching, and maybe a little bit about how you started to bring in preschoolers into your teaching. Well, it started that I wanted to be a recorder teacher when I was 10. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. And I thought, okay, I need um, piano for a second instrument when I want uh, to go to university. And so I started uh, piano lessons around 12 years, when I was around 12 years. And soon after that, I discovered that this instrument is <laughs> sounding so wonderful. <laughs> I could play so many different kinds of repertoire there. So I changed. Okay. <laughs> awesome. And then, um, so you started teaching. At what stage did you start teaching piano? I had my first student with um, 18 years. Okay. Um, it was a friend of my mother. She was a teacher herself, and she said, uh, "Well, just try. You want to study that? 
just try. Here's my daughter. Okay. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And then I, I taught uh, the whole time during uh, studies for one and a half days a week. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. And then gradually transitioned to full time, I presume, when you're finished. Yeah. And yeah. where did um, preschoolers come into the equation? So where, when did you start teaching young students? Did you always incorporate that or did, you, did that come later? No, I had my first uh, four-year-old um, when I was studying. And yeah, I was trying, finding out what I can do with them and um, how to make it interesting and how to, to explain the things because they were just four-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different different experience for sure. Yes. Yeah. So do you teach entirely one-on-one -on -one or do you do any group lessons, anything like that? Um, just now I'm doing one-on-one. -on -one. These two boys, um, they were uh, in partner lessons. And uh, I, I want to try body lessons now with the next coming preschoolers. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So why is it that you want to jump into body lessons and try that out? <laughs> because it's the combination, I think. It's very, very strong. Um, mm -hmm. To have them separate, to work with them on pieces and on posture, on body movements, technique, um, but also to, um, well, playing music theory games. It, it's much more fun with a peer than with a teacher, I think. And uh, yeah, to improvise what, what you are doing. I think the combination is very, very um, good and um, more fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And it is great to still have that benefit of the one-on-one -on -one time, especially for those of us that that's the format we're used to. Yeah. And that we feel that we still need to yeah, do things like work on posture and in-depth on technique and stuff like that. Yes. I should have asked, is, is for the youngest age you've taught or do you, have you taught any three-year-olds? No. Four is, <laughs> four is the minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four, yeah. It's a different line for everyone. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So how long are your lessons for preschoolers then? Do you teach 30-minute lessons or what's the standard for you? Yes, I teach uh, them for 30 minutes. I have to think about the body coming body lessons. If mm. I do twenty twenty or thirty fifteen, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure yet. Yeah, Before that, I will uh, have a look at the um, the students um, during tryout lessons, and I think then I get a feeling what would be right for them. Okay. So, do you teach all your students in thirty minute lessons anyway, or is that just your youngest students? Just for the young students, well, we couldn't get to anything <laughs> just in 30 minutes. Um, I really uh, need 45 minutes. And it took a long time for the transformation to get them to 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but now um, I have it in my uh, contract and say it um, during tryout lessons that when they're turning nine years latest, Mm -hmm. uh, we will switch to 45 minutes. Okay, so up until age nine, you're sort of happy enough with 30? 
or do you try and switch them earlier it than that? It depends. I try. Um, last year I started with two eight-year-olds and I, I just said, okay, we need 45 minutes. And yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So um, do you, when you're teaching preschoolers, do you use any other stuff or are you just at the piano? As in, do you have rhythm instruments or any other toys or anything that you find useful in your preschool lessons? I dream of a cajun. I, I never, uh, <laughs> I don't have one. Uh, or cajon? I don't know. <laughs> How is yeah, it I would say cajon, but I don't know if I'm right. Cajon. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you pronounce it whatever way you think. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. I've only ever seen it written down as well. I would like to use that. Um, most of the time we just do clapping or touch. You, you yeah. say touch, tap. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. What kind of materials? Well, the little um, erasers, of course. <laughs> we need that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> games? Yeah. Those are the Iwako puzzle erasers for anyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. famous ones. The famous ones. Those are the essentials, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And um, I'm guessing there's a difference between your th- what you're charging for 30 minutes and what you're charging for 45 minutes, but there's no yeah. difference in terms of preschoolers versus older. No. Yeah. Just standard rates. Yeah. So how do you plan your lessons then for your youngest students or or in general? How do you actually plan out lessons? Do you have quite a, like, do you have a written out structure? Do you type something and refer to it on an iPad or how do do you make your plans? Well, I have, uh, of course, always a plan. (laughs) I'm a big planner. I have some Excel spreadsheets. and uh, I, I map out every step uh, when I'm introducing a new node or um, T or something like that. Um, I, I know the exact way. Um, I think it's very important for uh, young students that um, the teacher has a structure. When I was finding my way, um, sometimes you have ideas during lessons and um, try to change the way you explain something. And then I saw they are lost. <laughs> right. And they needed some, some lessons to, to get it right. So I think it's very important to have a structure, especially for beginners or for young beginners. Mm. Yeah, that is very important. So do you follow the same sort of structure for each lesson, like each week, the same kind of this and then this and then this, and just just fill in the blanks, or is it different each week? No, I I have a structure first um, listening to the um, assignments, and um, after that, a new piece or a game between. But um, yeah, we always start with um, the homework. Mm. Or um, I'm starting with um, when I have a, a theme month or theme weeks. Uh, right now we are running um, the one minute challenge. Um, then I'm starting with that at the beginning because otherwise I would forget it <laughs> during yeah, lesson. Yeah. And um, but when students come uh, to lesson and said and, and, and starting with something they have 
problems with or they come in and want to um have an, uh, want to play this song right at the beginning well i'm fine with it mm. yeah awesome and um what about when the plan needs to be thrown out the window or do you never do that say if you oh, have uh, always <laughs> <laughs> always I'm a big planner, but I'm not fixed on that. Yeah. I just need to, um, uh, where I want to go, I don't care um, how long we, <laughs> we, we need to, to get there. Um, or sometimes students need something in between. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think uh, many people have problems with plans because they think they are fixed, made, <laughs> made in stone. Yeah. But they are not. And um, I just need um, a goal, something we are going to. Yes. Yeah, you need a direction. Even yeah. if you end up going there on a different route. Yes. You need to have that direction that you know where yes. you're going. Exactly. Sometimes uh, I also change the piece because when I see, okay, we have only two or three weeks um, and then we have holidays, um, I won't start teaching a piece by road. So uh, I would change that up uh, into uh, another piece, mm -hmm. which they can read during holidays when they have time to practice so that they don't uh, fix some mistakes during <laughs> yeah. all the time away. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've mentioned practice already because you mentioned the homework. So do you have all your even your youngest students practicing at home right from the start? Yes. Yeah. And what <laughs> kind of practice do you expect? How much do you expect? Do you give parents guidelines? Um, yes, I have a prepared assignment sheet um, for every student. And I have the mothers um, sitting inside the lesson. Okay. Especially with the young ones, because um, I also explain it to my students that mom is my assistant at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and she listens to everything and I also explain or say please have a look and I show movements or something like that um, so that they can help their child at home and they can mark um, I have charts to mark assignment charts mm -hmm. for the young ones and well the mothers are do the check marks um, and what do I expect well, I say um, daily would be perfect. <laughs> um, five times is wonderful. And in this age, the students have time. And often they um, practice two or three times a day. When they pass the piano in the living room, they just say, oh, I, I play it again. And then go to the next. <laughs> yeah. So. That's a good tip yeah. to encourage parents not to think about it as having to be this like big practice session that you do all in one go, though, because often for very young students, it is better to just, you know, sit down, play the song and then go away and play with the blocks again and then come back and play with the song later. Yes. Yeah. They, they do it themselves. Yeah. It's, and the assignment is very, very little. It's not. A big one it's not 10 minutes or something like that I, I think mm. they just 
sit there and, and try a bit out and do something so that they um, develop a routine of practice. Yeah, that's the big thing, isn't it? And would it just be, say, one song each week? Or do you have any, like, would there ever be several assignments or is it generally one thing? No, there are more. Yeah. I think uh, around two pieces and maybe an exercise for reading or rhythm, working on um, technique. I have some a little uh, exercises uh, for finger numbers. I think you have something like that in your library. Yep. Um, finger plays where they, yeah, do different yes. things. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I used the, these um, exercises for working on their fingers, rounded finger shapes. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you would need them to be in German, so <laughs> the ones in the library won't be so useful for you. But for others, yeah, they can use those. So the parent, you call them the assistant. I think that's great. I call them the coach, so it's very similar. You're the yes. home coach, I'm the teacher, okay? Um, so when they first come to you, do you have a meeting with them before they start lessons? And do you explain to them about this role that they're taking on? I just introduced them to a tryout lesson. And I'm, well, starting with a student because they <laughs> they want to start when they're yeah. coming. And, um, well, we do some things um, that um, we both get a feeling. And the mother is sitting in the back listening. And when uh, I finished tryout lesson with a student, I turn to the mother and explain a bit more and uh, explain the contract and her role. But I think uh, most of the times um, we have spoken before on telephone yeah. and there are already um, explained that the mother needs to be there and mm -hmm. during lesson. Yeah, great. And do you ever have parents who are surprised by that? Or is that sort of what they're expecting where you are? No, I think they're expecting that. And um, well, the, the children are young and also the, the parents or the mothers, mostly they are the mothers. They are curious to see their child sitting there on, on the piano bench, I think. And they enjoy it, listening and seeing their child um, learn something. It's yeah. also a special situation for them because in school they are not sitting <laughs> beside them. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it is a special thing. It's just sometimes parents can be a bit surprised or maybe they didn't even realize their child was going to have to practice. So um, maybe parents are more up with what's going to be, with how it's going to work uh, where you are. But yeah, it depends on the area largely, I think. And how much experience parents generally have with music lessons, whether they know that that expectation is going to be there. Yeah. So many teachers, and, and you may have seen this come up around Facebook groups or elsewhere, they feel that preschoolers are simply not ready for lessons still. So they have this idea that students should only start lessons at age seven or eight and anything under that is really a waste of time because they can't concentrate yet so have you ever found that that focus or attention issue to be a problem for you in lessons do you ever find that you're trying to keep their attention and they're just drifting away 
No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, I start not too young. Yeah, I, I'm mm. starting with four, four, four and a half years old. Um, and um, they can concentrate for some minutes. And um, I, I think now I, I really have experience to look at um, their possibilities during a tryout lesson. I think this is very important for uh, preschoolers. And while you're changing activities during lesson, it's just have a, a half an hour. And I think when I'm focused, I can have my student to focus too. Mm. Um, and I um, focus on one thing. And maybe we just play a piece two times and it's, it's okay. And then I say, okay, work on your relaxed wrist or something like that and your finger, um, rounded shape finger, and then we do the next thing. And they just have to sit still during play. So when we talk, they can <laughs> wiggle. So, so Yeah, it sounds like you just have a natural rhythm that maybe you haven't had to think about a lot, that you're doing shorter activities anyway and you're not yes. you know you're not expecting them to sit still and practice in the way you might expect of a 12 year old that you've just naturally adapted your teaching to that so it's not a problem i think when people come across this problem it is because they're expecting a four-year-old to act like a 10-year-old and a, yeah obviously that's not possible so, so yeah you you feel it during lesson you you feel it when you sit um, beside them that they lose um, focus and then I know, okay, go to the next one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just get that natural sense that, okay, this isn't going to be productive anymore. We're going <laughs> to go somewhere else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so have you ever been frustrated by younger students' slower level of progress then or slower pace? No. <laughs> uh, there are teachers, they like to have a goal, to reach a goal. And I'm a teacher, I'm happy with um, seeing development. Um, mm -hmm. I don't care about how small, how little steps we are going. I'm happy when there is progress. I'm happy when there's none. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can only compare it to what that child did. And I think that's yeah. really the key there. So you're just seeing, okay, well, he took a small step forward. Yes, that's progress. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. We make progress. Do you do um, recitals or concerts in your studio, Karina? Of course. Yeah. Two times a year. And do your students at any age perform in them or do you start them a few years into lessons? How does that work? No, they, they can start um, when the next concert comes. Mostly they start um, at, uh, they play at the beginning of the recital and we play something forehanded. Mm -hmm. so um well they are not overwhelmed by the situation they're happy to play and to be part of it and uh, we play a little song and then they are very proud yeah. and i think it's uh it's not a problem and um well i always see recitals as something where students can listen to each other and so it i think it's for the young and Young ones, important to listen to older students to have an idea where they may go when they, when they practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, 
and the older ones, also the parents who are sitting in the audience, can remember um, how their child uh, or they uh, sounded at the beginning to, to see the progress for them mm. too. So um, I try um, that it's not too many young or too many um, old students. I try to have a balance between that so that it's um, interesting for the whole uh, audience. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. No, I think you're so right. Um, seeing that progression and parents seeing it too, because you can forget by the time they're playing such and such and you're struggling with them practicing four octave scales or something. You you forget, okay, they come from all the way over there. Like, this is pretty amazing. Yeah, right. Um, so do you find there's any difference in the level of nerves with your younger students? Do you find they get nervous or do you find they get less nervous than your older students? They are less nervous because they are just happy to show something. <laughs> and and um, the older they get, well, they're starting to think about themselves more and uh, what's happening when I'm making a mistake and the younger child not so much sometimes it depends on the personality if it's a very shy child mm -hmm. yeah maybe but when I have the feeling that the child is not ready I wouldn't suggest playing um, in, a, in a recital mm -hmm. yeah I agree with you um, definitely don't push them to play, but most of the time the youngest students are the least nervous. They just get yes. up there with no problem at all, <laughs> from my experience. And it doesn't really matter what they play either. Everyone's going to cheer because it's just impressive that their tiny fingers are doing anything. It's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you play duet normally with them. Is there any particular books or repertoire that you like for your youngest students? Um, well, uh, I use uh, Piano Pronto. So the first books are with a uh, written out um, mm -hmm. company for nice uh, parts, yeah. Yes, very nice. Um, and I also use uh, books from uh, a German composer. Um, I also use her method. Her name is Anna Tetsi Baschit. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah. I just see where they are and then um, we, we learn a piece uh, which fits in and uh, where there is uh, something to accompany and, well, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, perfect. And uh, for that German composer that no one's going to be able to spell, you can give me a link if you have one and I'll put it on the show notes if people are curious what, what kind of music it is. So okay. how do you approach technique with your youngest students, Karina? Do, do you talk about technique straight away from the beginning? And do you have any tricks that you use or any particular method for that? Well, I start in, in the tryout lesson because I think it's very important to see if they can round their fingers or not. Okay. Um, when they can't round their fingers, I would wait some months for starting piano lessons. Because I think two years ago, um, and I made a test with two four-year-olds, mm. twins, um, very, very sweet, um, but they couldn't hold their, their fingers. And the problem is, even when they are later able um, to round their fingers, the habit is, is so strong. It's so mm. hard to change. Um, so I'm waiting for that. 
that um, yeah, this mm -hmm. is my most uh, uh, important thing uh, during a tryout lesson to see if the child, um, it, it doesn't have to be right, it doesn't have to be perfect, but um, when I get the idea that they can have a conscious for their fingers mm -hmm. and they can move uh, the fingertip, then I think, okay, yeah, yeah. we can try. <laughs> Yeah, that they have control over it. You want that to be there before they start. Yeah, yeah. And then I start with um, just the third finger. Um, and um, we're playing uh, some little things um, on the black keys, mostly the three black keys. And um, yeah, it's very important for um, the, the rounded finger and a relaxed wrist. Mm -hmm. I explain the um, rounded finger shape with the Romans <laughs> because they built bridges okay. a long time ago and they were very, they are still very strong. Sometimes I, I show a picture of that. So the semicircle is very, very strong and you can play wonderful music with it. <laughs> and then um, off we go. And the relaxed wrist. I think it's very important that they, yeah, get used to relaxation, mm -hmm. that they can relax. Um, yeah, their that's fingers. This is a little bee collecting um, honey. Um, <laughs> yeah, some little stories around that. And this is, yeah, the technique uh, which they need at the beginning. Um, so it's all non-legato at the beginning with a relaxed wrist and a rounded finger. So are those songs that you're teaching on the three black keys, are those by rote? Are they? Um, yes, they are by rote. We also play um, I Love Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we start um, with playing um, animal motives. We play a beer, a dog, barking, a little mouse running away, uh, stuff like that, or... Um, a rabbit who's jumping above on the, the keyboard. We start with that. So little motives, but um, it's not imp improvising. It's really emotive. Okay. So the fear is very tired because he ate so much. And the elephants um, are having a parade and, <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. And um, yeah, I start with um, the finger number exercises on the black keys. And then soon I also start with um, reading on okay. one line. So how soon are we talking? How many lessons in maybe? I know it'll depend on the child, but maybe two, three, maybe? No, more. More, okay. <laughs> uh, more. I don't know. After 10 lessons, maybe? Oh, okay. So more than a couple of months, say. Yeah. Yeah. We are very uh, we are very busy with I love coffee and with the um, animal <laughs> motives yeah. and with the finger exercises. Um, we all uh, also introduce um, Ta and Taya. Yeah. Um, and Taya. Taya. Yeah. Is that what uh, you it's call not a... tattoo because yeah, two okay. is uh, in, in in German it's zwei. Yeah. Um, so which ta, would be awkward to say. Yeah. Taya. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this is all before 
and um, they also already know playing on the three black keys. And then we start um, to expand to um, second, third, and fourth fingers. So each finger gets a black key. And so these are three notes, and it's uh, one under the line, on the line, and above the line. And yep. so we can can start a bit reading because uh, they don't, they are not at at school. They don't know the reading process, but I never had problems with that. Mm. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, it's a pretty logical system once you yes. actually break it down and just keep it simple. Like, look, it's going up, so it's going up, kind of thing, rather than yeah, getting too involved with it. So, when you do start reading, is that in piano pronto, as you mentioned there, or uh, I use the other method. Okay. Um, uh, the German method for the, the young ones. Um, it's a classical middle C method. Okay. So um, when they're used to reading one line, um, I'm starting to introducing um, one note at a time, mm -hmm. starting with C. And there are always uh, little animals and they have a name and they have a color. And um, so we expand treble D or a bass B and so on until every finger got something to do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's like my material is just um, a bit before the method. So, and I, I combine it and later it's just the method. Yeah. So I just yeah. have some materials um, before that. I always introduce these are, this is, Dana, a dolphin, okay. yeah? yeah, and um, we uh, use the little uh, Iwako uh, erasers and mark every D on the piano, and then I explain how it looks, and uh, we color it, but I use color only with new notes, mm -hmm. or when they mix up something like uh, treble E and bass A, or something like that. Um, then I, I use the colors again, but not every note is colored when they play. Yeah. So that they are not depend on, on the colors. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So what about other elements of your lesson? Are you getting them up and marching or you mentioned clapping earlier? Is that to music that you have on in the background or is it just solo? Um, just solo, yeah. yeah. We are sitting on the floor and I have um, some cards, uh, circles in, in white and black, big mm -hmm. circles. And um, the white one is Taya, Tatu, yeah. and the black one is Tar. And we are composing our own rhythms and uh, stuff like that. And trying them out. And are you singing at all during these lessons? Do you do any singing with your students? All the time. Okay. We are singing <laughs> the Kodali syllables. Okay. <laughs> I'm just singing it and, um, well, they sing along. <laughs> so you're, you're using Salfa, is it? or? No, I, I'm just using um, Tan T. Yeah, and singing those when they're applied rhythm. to melodies. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And uh, do you use games when you're teaching preschoolers? Do you bring games into your lessons? Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
uh, I really uh, want to look at your uh, library and uh, I have some here to to ready for laminating and cutting but I don't have the time <laughs> I just tried uh, uh, slippery steps so yeah. I have a bit or line line space leapfrog I think yeah that's another one yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah. they really love games yeah well it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to do all of them you just pick out the ones when you're ready for them so yeah yes yeah absolutely so um this has been wonderful and so great for those who are getting started i'd love for a final second if you could imagine a brand new teacher to teaching preschoolers so they've already taught regular quote-unquote regular lessons eight and above type lessons what tips would you have to share with them that maybe about mistakes you made when you first started teaching this young age group or just general advice? Okay, well, um, I, I would say start small. <laughs> when you're used to one-on-one, um, -on -one, just try one-on-one -on -one and maybe not uh, too young. When you're used to um, seven-year-old kids, maybe try five-year-old one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then you can see how everything works. Um, I think we have the possibilities to teach younger, younger kids because as teachers, we have the ability to break something down in mm -hmm. some smaller steps. And this is very important. I think the tryout lesson is very important. I always say um, I'm looking more at the mother than the child because <laughs> the, uh, I can cope with a child, no problem. But when the mother is not, <laughs> not engaged. Yeah, <laughs> not engaged, and when she looks a little bit chaotic or <laughs> unorganized, I don't think it's the right time to start with the child when it's that young. Mm -hmm. Then it should better wait till I don't know when when the child's much older, uh, when the child has a known sense of organization yeah, <laughs> yeah, when they can organize their own affairs because the parent is going to have to do everything yeah so. when they are young it's it's very very important um that they are on board and yeah my my assistant yeah the rounded fingertips i think because otherwise the next years you are very busy and repeating yourself on and on which we do all the time but <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be <laughs> more. Um, and um, I would say, think through the first lessons, um, how to structure. As I said before, um, you can't change so fast with a very young student. It should be very logic, very step by step. Mm -hmm. And when you have an idea during lesson, oh, I, I want to explain it different or it's uh, next time I would use uh, another um, way um, then make a mental note, but don't try it in, in the lesson with this child because it will get lost and overwhelmed. And um, when you have map out four lessons, maybe don't map out the whole term, <laughs> yeah. just four lessons. And then you see how, um, how small the steps um, need to be yeah and then you can adjust later yes <laughs> yeah that's fantastic advice 
Thank you so much for joining me for this today, Karina. It was great to chat with you. You're welcome, Nicola. I thank you for your wonderful community. Oh, not it at all. inspires me always. And the <laughs> games are so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. Thanks again. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Karina Bush and got some new insights from it that you can use in your preschool teaching or that it helped you see things a little bit differently when it comes to your own students. We'll have one final interview in this series next week and that's with the wonderful Lindell Kennedy. You're going to want to tune in to hear that one. I'll be back again with that next week. If you want to go grab my new book, you can do so at playfulpreschoolpiano.com. You'll find links there to purchase it on Amazon or wherever else suits you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.